Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to begin by asking you a question this morning. Have you ever heard a song and thought just wow, like that's amazing, like there's something different about that song. Like there, there are moments when you can hear songs and you think, oh, that's nice, it's got a catchy beat, it's kind of cool, I like that. But there are other songs that from the moment you hear it, it impacts something inside of your soul. It resonates with something deep inside of you. There are great songs that do that. One of my wife and I's Things that we like to do is we like to watch things like The Voice and American Idol and, and things like that. We like that. And it's funny because you, you watch those and you think, I wish that that person had a good mama that would have told them the truth before they made a fool out of themselves <laughs> on national television, right? But then there's other, other singers that you hear, and they come out and they sing a song, and they, they're technically sound. Like, their voices are beautiful, but you just know there's something missing. And you can't quite put your finger on it, but there's something that's not attached to the song as they sing it. They sing it beautifully, but the, their soul is not attached to it. Their passion's not attached to it. Yet there's other singers that can come out, and they don't sing quite as well as the person who maybe sang right before them, but you feel it deep in your soul. And you connect to that song. You, there's something about it that just captivates you. Now, many of you know what, have had those experiences where you heard that song and you just remember, and it just it did something to you. There's something about it. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? For those of you that didn't raise your hand, let me, yes, you're not telling the truth in God's house. Let me just tell you. I know this resonates with you because how many of you had mixtapes that you gave to your girlfriend in junior high? You were hoping for this very thing. For those of you who are under the age of 25, let me explain what a mixtape is. It's kind of like Spotify, but not at all. It was a physical thing with tape in it. That's all I'm going to tell you. Okay. Flashback. Another thing that Lauren and I are doing is we, we like TV shows and movies. And there's a, there was a movie that we watched not too long ago. And it was called I Can Only Imagine. Incredible movie. And it was the story of um, the lead singer of the band Mercy Me. And it was... It, it was the storyline that led up to him writing that song that most of us in this room know, and we've heard it before. We've heard it in sad moments. We've thought about it in our minds, and it reminds us of people that we've known and we've loved that have, have passed away. But it was his story, and it was the story of him trying to make a name for himself and become this great um, Christian music artist, and nothing ever worked out, yet while he was trying, he had this deep bitterness towards his father. 
And him and his dad were on two different pages because his dad physically abused him as a child. So there was a lot of resentment, a lot of bitterness. And along, somewhere along the journey, the dad gets born again. This is a true story. The dad gets born again, and everything in their relationship changes. God begins to restore their relationship as God is renewing and transforming this man's life. And he rekindles, reconnects his relationship with his son, and the, and the son is beginning, he's starting to do well, and his dad has cancer, and he passes away. And he writes, he pens this song, I can only imagine, describing what he believes his dad would see in heaven. And there's something about that song that just captivated America because we resonated with it. It was we connected with his pain without even fully knowing his story. Another movie similar to that is, uh, is a movie about the life of a man named Jeremy Camp. And it's, there's a song that he wrote in a, in a movie, corresponding movie called I Still Believe. And in the movie I Still Believe, Jeremy Camp, again, Christian music artist, trying to make it big, trying to do all of the stuff. He falls in love with this girl, and they have this beautiful love story, this beautiful relationship until she's diagnosed with a disease as well. And they go on this long journey of her doing well, her not doing well, her doing well, her not doing well. And ultimately, he, in his to his disappointment, she passes away. And here he is struggling with his faith trying to reconcile how he believed God for his wife's healing, yet she passed away. And he pins the words of this song, I still believe. Declaring for the world to hear, even though I didn't get the answer to the prayer that I wanted, God still answered my prayer and I still believe. I still trust him. There's something about those types of songs that they can, we really connect with on a deeper level. It really resonates with us. And for those of you who may, maybe have never heard those songs, I guarantee you've heard this song. And I'm going to take my time telling you this story. How many of you have heard the song, It Is Well? It's an old hymn. And the, the story behind the song goes like this. There's a man by the name of Horatio Spafford who was a very wealthy businessman. He was connected with the likes of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, and he was a wealthy attorney and real estate owner. And his life took a drastic turn, and I'm not making this up. You can, you can Google this if you want to to find multiple sources to tell you this story. But he lost his son to scarlet fever. And shortly after losing his son to scarlet fever, he lived in Chicago, and the Chicago fires devastated his real estate, and he lost a vast chunk of his wealth. All in a moment, life just seemed to turn on a dime for this man. And in an attempt to bring some solace, some comfort, peace to his family, he was going to take a vacation with his family, but he stayed back to work, and he sent his wife and their four daughters ahead of him on a ship to their vacation destination. When that ship was struck by an English vessel, and there were 200 people rescued from that ship, but many of them did not make it. And he received one telegraph from his wife 
And it only said this, saved alone. Indicating that all four of his daughters had died in that shipwreck. As any good man would do, he immediately got on the very next boat that he could to go to his wife to find her and to be with her and to comfort her. And on his way to his wife, the captain of the ship, in a sign, as a sign of solidarity, stopped at the very location where the shipwreck happened, allowing Horatio Gates to stand there in that moment to soak in what happened. And the way the story goes is in that moment, the words of that song bubbled out of his soul. And this is the very beginning of the song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea bellows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, there's something about songs that can impact the deepest recesses of our soul. I want to talk about just such a song today in the Bible, in our series, The Unknown. And you may not have ever read it as a song, but it is. Scholars regard it as a song. There's songs in the Bible that we don't know are songs. Like there's one in the Bible in the book of Luke called the Magnificat. And the Magnificat is the moment that Mary actually Check, 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 come on. Gives her song after she became pregnant with Jesus. And she's there with Elizabeth, excuse me, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. And they have this dialogue. And out of that dialogue, she begins to speak. And we read that but scholars regard these words as a song. And they call it the Magnificat. That's not the one we're going to talk about. But I just wanted to give you a, verbal, a, a picture of what we're talking about. So we're continuing in our series called The Unknowns, and we're talking about the lives of these lesser-known heroes of the Bible, these lesser-known people in the Bible that we can learn something from their lives, whether it's something good or, or something in their failures that we can learn from. And this morning, I want to take a look at a song that, again, you've probably never thought of as a song, and you may have never even heard of this person, but the title of my message this morning is Hannah's Song, Hannah's song. I want to begin by going right to her song. I want to read to you the first portion of her song and then go back and tell you what it is because we, we have those moments where we hear the song and it's amazing, but when you hear the story behind the song, wow, it just hits different. First Samuel chapter 2 verse 1 says this, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. And he will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken and those who are, who stumbled, excuse me, are now strong. Those who were well fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. Let me stop there for a moment. Because we read that and we go, man, those are strong words, but I want you to hear where that came from. 
We're going to begin our story. I want to tell you the time frame. This takes place around 1100 B.C., 1100 years before the time of Christ, before Jesus. And it's happening in Israel. And Israel, if you remember, was God's chosen people. But the problem with our story is God's chosen people were not acting very chosen. They were not acting very godly. This is after the time of Moses. This is after the time of Joshua. They are in the promised land. They are in the place that God promised them. And this is happening during the time of the judges. I'm I'm going somewhere with all of this information. Just track with me. This is during the time of the judges. And when I say that, it means that it's before the time of the kings. They were not given a king. Their king was God. And God was ruling his people as their king. But the problem is they weren't acting like his people. They were rebelling against him. And later on, they even said, we don't want you as our king. We want our own king. That's what the people were doing. So with that in mind, let me begin this story. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zoph in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, let me pause there for a moment. Number one, how many of you are glad we have better names now? That's first. But number two, the Bible tells us that this man, Elkanah, lived in Ephraim. Now, there were tribes. So the way you had, imagine a a gigantic family property. Imagine if all of Broussard was just a family property. Okay, that's kind of what this was like. You had tribal places where your tribe owned the, the, the land that your people lived in. So you would think that this man, Elkanah, was from the tribe of Ephraim. But the book of First Chronicles tells us that's not the case. He was actually from the tribe of Levi. He was a Levite, which was a priestly tribe. And the priests were the people who would go to the tabernacle and offer sacrifices. They were the priests. They were the pastors, if you will, of Israel. So what that tells us is that more than likely, this man was not a very religious man. He was what we consider today CEO Christians. They go to church on Christmas and Easter only. Two times a year, they're going to be in the house of God. That's it. So that's what we gather from this man, Elkin. Let's keep going. He was the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tua, son of Zoph, son of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah did not. Now, I can hear some of you right now. See, pastor, why can't I have two wives? Let me... Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever seen this, even in the Bible, work out well? Okay. So just because the Bible says this is what happened, it's not suggesting this is what you're supposed to do, okay? That's a side note, but it's a very important side note. The Bible says he had two wives. One's name was Penina, which means Ruby. Problem is she wasn't acting like a gym. She was acting like a jerk. And he had another wife named Hannah. And Hannah's name means favored. Favored. And even though her name meant favored, she was not acting as if she was favored. She did not even recognize that she was favored. 
Verse 3. Each year, Elkanah and his wives, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion. Other translations say a double portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. So here's Hannah, this favored woman who could not see the favor on her life because all she could see was her pain and her perceived deficiency. She didn't have what Panina had and that's all that she could see was I don't have what I want. I don't have what Panina has. So I feel less than, I feel deficient, I feel like I can't do what they can do. And so that's all that's in my sight. All I see is what I don't have. How many of us do the exact same things? Because there's, there's sometimes there are nagging pains in our lives, nagging insecurities in our lives that cause us to overcompensate. We've got to tell everybody what we do in hopes that they somehow feel like we're on par with them. And we have, to, we have to share every accomplishment we've ever done because we're not secure in ourselves because we feel like everyone's judging our deficiencies or our insecurities or inadequacies. And we live with this pain of what we've lost or what we don't have. And that pain becomes our identity. That pain literally becomes how we see ourselves. God Gave this woman the name Hannah favored, but all she could see was what she didn't have. And pain has a way of doing that in our lives. Loss has a way of doing that in our lives. Not getting what we feel like it's the, we earned or, or is what we deserve has a way of creating this identity that God never gave us. And the Bible goes on in detail to tell us that this happened year after years. It wasn't bad enough that she felt this way, but the enemy of her soul kept reminding her of what she didn't have. Panina kept taunting her year after year. As she went to the house of God, she had to hear Panina's voice. What's, what's wrong? Where's your kids? Where's your family? Taunting her, mocking her, and every year as she went, she went in tears. Verse 8, why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than ten sons? I can answer how Hannah felt. No. It's not. It's not helping me. There are some painful places, if we're honest, in our lives that a friendly encouragement does nothing for. There are certain pains in our lives and in our stories and in our souls 
that someone's best well wishes and best well-meaning efforts just don't seem to touch. And it's not because we want to be closed off. It's not because we want to be isolated. It's because we're in pain. It's because we're hurting. And I'm not encouraging that you isolate at all in the least. I'm not at all encouraging that. You need to continuously be around there, even when people are trying their very best in a vain attempt to make you feel better. But it is just that, a vain attempt. Because all we can see is what we don't have. And not only was this her pain, this was Elkanah's pain. Because though Elkanah favored her and he loved her, he couldn't fix this. He couldn't fix this problem. He tried, but he couldn't fix it. And that's one of the greatest fears as a man, let me just tell you. One of the greatest fears of a man is to have a problem in our family that we cannot protect them from. For there to be an issue in a family that we feel powerless to control or powerless to change, and that is precisely the place that Elkanah found himself as well. He felt inadequate. He felt deficient. He felt as if he could not produce inside of Hannah who would bring her great comfort and great peace. This is the story. This is their life. And I fear that many of us find ourselves in the same places where our lives are full of pain and we have these things that we try to move past them, but what we try to do is medicate them. We don't actually deal with them. What we do is we put ourselves in a position where we try to fix the problem with food or with alcohol or with drugs or with sex or with compromise because the pain that we're feeling does not seem to lead us to where we want it to be. Let me say very clearly, I know, please hear your, my heart as your pastor, that for some of you this is a very painful topic. And I know that some of you face and deal with this. And so I'm, my heart for you, I want to tell you my heart for you as a pastor, but first let me tell you this. I let me just give you a little bit of my story. I am blessed with three very beautiful girls. Beautiful girls. I'm a blessed man. But can I tell you, I did not always feel like a blessed man. Because from the very beginning, I prayed for a boy. <laughs> and I can remember the very first time when my oldest daughter, when we found out you're having a beautiful baby. Yes, God's going to be a boy. I just know it. I've had dreams. I'm going to have a boy. And we had this big gender reveal. And they, you're having a boy. I mean, you're having a girl. And I remember everyone being in our little bitty apartment in Gulfport, Mississippi. And they're all celebrating. And I'm literally sitting in the corner staring into the corner going, What just happened? God, what did I do? <laughs> and then we said, okay, we're going to try again. And surely God's going to give me that boy. One girl, one boy. It's going to be fine. It's going to be good. I can deal with that. And then we wanted to be surprised. And at my daughter's birth, surprise. Give <laughs> another girl. We waited years, and I love those two special girls. They are amazing to me. But I thought, let's try one more time, and God's going to give me that boy. 
And we're no spring chickens, right? We're, we're 42 years old, and I can, I can give you a little more detail than you probably need to know. My wife had three C-sections, and we knew that, okay, this is the third one. This is the last try. This is our last attempt at this. We're not getting any younger here. And I have people praying. <laughs> Praise the boy. Praise the boy. As if I'm going to be in the hospital room and something's just going to pop out. Right? <laughs> that wasn't there before, if you get what I mean. <laughs> and we're praying and they're like, God, I'm just believing you for this. And they come in. Congratulations, guys. It's a girl. <laughs> and I'm making light of that and having fun with it. But the truth is, for probably a week and a half to two weeks after that, I was depressed. And I can remember sitting in prayer services, just not really engaging. I can remember riding down the road in my car, crying my eyes out, going, God, why? That's not what, that's not what I asked you for. Why wouldn't you give me a son? Why wouldn't you give me that to carry my name on, Lord, why? And it wasn't until later, starting to see his plan, starting to see what he's done, and can I be honest, I wouldn't trade one of those girls for any single boy. Not one. Each one of them are different. Each one of them is strong. Each one of them is special. Each one of them is anointed in a different way by God. And I'm grateful to be a, I'll never forget going to a, a restaurant and meeting a, a friend who used to be a roommate, a roommate of mine. And he has seven kids. And they are all girls. <laughs> and he said something that helped change my mind. <laughs> One, his life helped change my mind. But he said, I love being a girl, Dad. And he said, when I come home, I'm always the king of the castle. And I went, I can deal with that. Praise God. All right. All right. <laughs> With that said, many of you are still believing God. Keep believing God. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Let me tell you something about God. He's sovereign. And if you don't know what that word means, it means he's in control of everything. And he has a plan. And there are times when he answers your prayers, yes. And there's times he answers your prayer, no. And there's times when he answers your prayer, not yet. So wherever you find yourself at in this story and in this journey, you keep asking him. You keep believing him until you've heard yes, no, or not yet. Because what I didn't tell you was early on in our marriage, we felt like we couldn't have kids. And we were trying and nothing happened. And we were getting afraid that nothing would ever happen. Until we sat, I will never forget this, sitting at a pizza par party, parlor, excuse me, with a traveling minister from South Africa who was sitting out eating our pizza together. And he looks over at me and my wife and he says, y'all have been struggling to have a child, haven't you? God's going to give you 
a child. Shortly after that, she became pregnant. So I know the pain. I understand to some degree. But even though I have a limited understanding, God understands fully. And he's sovereign. Back to our story. Verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Again, they're at the tabernacle. They're having their meal. And Hannah gets up and walks away to start praying in the tabernacle. Now, let me tell you something about these feasts. These feasts were not like what we would consider a boring religious ritual. They didn't just show up and do the mindless thing. God instituted these feasts as a moment of celebration for his people. He literally put within the rhythms of their year times to celebrate. Which as a side note, some of you just need to celebrate. Some of you need to have moments where you're just having fun. Some of you didn't want to come to church because you believe we didn't believe in fun. You need to have fun. You need to celebrate what God has done because it continues. It builds your joy even in tough seasons. It reminds you of what you have to be grateful for. And these types of feasts were, were like that. The, some, the, some of the feasts that God instituted were like that. They were akin almost to a thanksgiving, if you will. Where the families gathered and they're eating together and they're celebrating. But at this Thanksgiving feast, if you will, Hannah wasn't having it. And she got up and she went away and she cried and she prayed. Verse 10. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies. Let me stop there for a moment. This chapter is the very first time in all of scripture that God is referred to as the Lord of hosts. Or the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what she's saying. An angel has the ability to do, one angel probably has the ability to do more than every single one of us in this room combined. So what she is saying is you are the Lord of hosts, host meaning an army. God, you are the head of the army of the angels of the universe, indicating you, there's no resource that you don't have. There's nothing that you're limited from accomplishing if this is what you want to do. You are the Lord of hosts. The Lord of heaven's armies. She goes on to say, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. I want you to see where Hannah went with her pain. She took her pain and she brought it to God. There's some of us in this room who are born-again believers who love God. We love Jesus. There are people in this room, you love God, and you're people of prayer. You love to pray. You are an intercessor. You intercede for other people, yet you still have the biggest problem bringing the depths of your pain to God. You pray for everybody else. But when's the last time you sat in God's presence and weeped about the situations in your life? When's the last time you let out the deepest parts of pain in your soul and gave it to him, pouring it out to him? 
If you want to know what the best kinds of prayer are, honest ones. Not the flowery, God, I think you want to hear this. God already knows what's in your heart. God already knows the areas of unbelief. God already knows the areas of doubt. He knows the pain. He knows the struggle. He knows what you're up against. But he wants you to bring him into it. He wants you to recognize who's the source. That's why we need to pour our hearts out to God. We need to pour out our pain. We need to pour out our disappointment. God, I thought it was going to be like this. Instead, it's like this. God, I grew up believing this was going to happen, but instead, this happened. God, why? God is bigger than the question why. Some of you need to pour that out to him. Your anger, your hurt, your frustration. But even in that, she took that, that prayer and she said, God, if you will give me this son, I will take the answer to my prayer and I will dedicate it to you. I will take whatever your answer is and dedicate it to you. Verse 12. As she was praying, the Lord, praying to the Lord, Eli, who again, who was the priest, the pastor, watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought, she's been drinking. Pause. Talk about adding insult to injury. You finally come to church and the pastor accuses you of being drunk. Verse 14, must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Verse 15, oh no, sir. She replied, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. Just to clarify that. I haven't been drinking wine, but I had a little whiskey. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. The picture that these words are giving us, she's being accused of pouring something in, but she says, no, no, no. I haven't poured anything in to meet my needs. I've been pouring myself out to God. I've poured out who I am to him. I've given him my pain. I've given him my anguish. Verse 17. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. And this, what happens next is amazing. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaims. Then she went back and began to eat again. And she was no longer sad. I want you to see something. Nothing in her situation changed. The moment that Eli said something, she didn't instantly become pregnant. There was only one of those that happened in the Bible, and it happened with Mary. She was still unpregnant. But her faith in God arose. I want you to see this. Her brokenness led to her prayer. And her prayer led to her faith. And then it goes a step beyond that. Verse 19. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once again. Let me stop there for a moment. Her brokenness led to her prayer. A desperate, honest, real. What do you do with your pain? You bring it to God. 
What do you do with your struggles? You tell him about it and you bring, you invite him into the anguish of your souls in a very real, in a very honest way because he can handle it. She brought her, her anguish, her pain brought, her brokenness led her to prayer. Her prayer led her to faith and her faith led her to worship. And she worshiped God before her prayers were answered. We don't, let me tell you something about worship. We don't just worship God because he does stuff for us. We don't just worship God because everything we ask him for, we get an answer to. We worship him because he's God. We worship him because he sees us. He loves us. Just that word, worship, worth, is the key word in there. Worth. He is worth us worshiping. He is worth us praising. He is worth us saying, you have my attention. You have my affection. You have it all. Because he's worth that. Even if the answer is yes, no, or not yet. She worshiped ahead of time. The Bible says, then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. Can I just tell you, God gave her the desire of her heart. God, she brought her prayer to God, and God heard her. And that name Samuel, do you know what it means? It means God hears. God hears. God, you actually hear me. Verse 24, I'm going to skip down a little bit. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. Let me pause there for a moment. The weaning process back in that day was about three to five years. How many moms are grateful right now for Similac? But the weaning period was about three to five years. And so when they came back, to, when Hannah actually came back with Samuel, he was between the ages of three and five years old. Verse 25, after sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy. And he has granted my request. Now, she makes good on her promise. Now, I am giving him to the Lord. And he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. Her pain led to her prayer. And her prayer led to her faith. And her faith led to her worship. She devoted him back to God. That's the story of Hannah. And the Bible goes on to tell us that she had more children after that. And in the very next chapter, that's where her song is sung. And I want to read it to you again, but this time I want you to hear it now understanding the context of what this woman was enduring as she wrote this song. Samuel chapter 2 verse 1, then Hannah prayed. My heart rejoices in the Lord. 
The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. She was being slightly petty in that moment, but we're going to let that slide. <laughs> Truthfully, God wants to hear exactly how you feel, even when you're mad at people. He wants to hear that as well. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, places them in seats of honor for all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth, and he gives power to his king. Don't miss what I'm about to say. He increases the strength of his anointed one. Two things I want you to hear as I close. She's pouring it all out now in thanksgiving to God. She's assessing what God has done. But she also goes on at the very end to say, he increases the strength of his anointed one. That is the first time in all of the Bible that we see this Hebrew word, anointed one, or Messiah. And where we get the Greek word, Christ. This was the first time that that word, Messiah, Christ, was used in the Bible as a prophecy about Jesus Christ who would come. All of Israel clamored and waited for the Messiah that was mentioned in this verse. Pastor, what are you saying? God can turn your pain into your song. Don't look at what you're facing now and think it's over. It's just your song. It's the song that you'll sing. It's the worship that you'll give. It's what you'll bring to him, and it's what will bring hope to many who come after you. Let God turn your pain into your song. Let me pray for you. Great is your faithfulness, Father. Even when we don't understand it, great is your faithfulness. Even when we're doubting and we're questioning, great is your faithfulness. God, I've been doing this long enough to see Romans 8, 28, how you work all things out for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. 
for those who devote themselves to you, how you take even the most painful moments of their life and you somehow turn it around for our good and it becomes fruit on our tree for others to eat. God, I think again, and I've mentioned them so many times, but I think about Gary and Judy Buchanan and all that they faced and how many have been blessed because of their pain. Think about Pastor Jacob, Lord, and Miss Michelle and losing their son, how they've been able to minister out of that pain. Help us have your perspective on our song. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to invite you into the beginning of Maybe the beginning of your story, the beginning of your song. The Bible says Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Meaning he's the beginning of the story. He's the end of the story. And in this moment, some of you have come here and you are far away from him. And your story really hasn't begun. But if you're here and you say, Pastor Gabe, I'm not born again. I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. But I want to be. If that's you, I want to give you that opportunity. And I want to tell you how to do it. We like to say it here around our Savior Church, just as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit that you're a sinner, that you're far away from him. You come to God in transparency and honesty, and you acknowledge my sin separates me from a holy God. Be you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross to solve that problem, to be the solution for that issue. And see, you confess. You confess that he is now going to be your Lord. Not just Lord of the universe, not just Lord of hosts, not just, but your Lord, meaning I will follow you from this moment on. And being born again is exactly how it sounds. Jesus said you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. This is your moment to be born again. So with no one looking around, if you say that's me on the count of three, I'm going to invite you to just lift up your hand to acknowledge that it's you that I'm praying with. And I'm going to say some words that if you mean them from your heart, you're going to be saved in this moment. You're going to be born again in this moment. One, two, no one looking around. Three, if that's you, lift up your hand. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again today. I want to pray to make Jesus Lord of my life. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Lift it up high. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. Sir, I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. See your hands back there. Ladies, thank you. Young man, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? You can put them now. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud with these precious saints of God that are being born again in this moment. Say these words with me. All of us as a family. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, 
and in relationship with the Father. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. And I will follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's celebrate with every single person who prayed that prayer to be born again. Welcome to the family of God. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand your feet. But before I do, let me say this. If you just prayed that prayer and you're wondering, what do I do now? Where do I go? Keep coming. Come and get to know the family that you are now a part of, that you are now connected with. And we want to help you grow in your relationship with God. So take that card in the pew pocket in front of you. Fill it out. And there's a box that says, I prayed to be born again. Check that box off. And you can leave it on your seat or give it to our info desk right there in the foyer. Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you this morning as we release you. Don't forget, intro to serve if you're interested in serving in our church right after this service in the student ministry building. Father, I thank you for your people today. God, I pray you bless them. I pray you make your face shine on them. And God, you would bless them in their going out and their coming in. And that all that they put their hands to would be blessed in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. And as a church, as a family, I pray that they are a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord, a powerful church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit doing great signs and wonders for your name and a persistent church even in the face of challenges. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.